Hi there. Today I had the pleasure of talking with Andy Savage, who went from hosting first-generation games and having thousands of online players play them. His journey took a life-altering turn when he was hit by a car and lost his ability to walk. This time to himself led him to create his first gaming company, Lavabird. He recently finished fundraising a successful Kickstarter for a game called Warside. This game is built on a brand new game engine, Godot, which is taking advantage of all the innovation revolving around AI. I'm excited for you all to listen to this great conversation on today's episode. Why this game lover defied all odds and never gave up his dream of building video games. We have a very special guest today. Um, he has a background in software engineering. He's from the University of Manchester and has expanded his career from technical director at Mobedia to CTO at Paddle to several other ventures ranging in the game development and in-app analytics space. Um, a person whose last company received around $300 million in funding per Crunchbase. He bounced back from a car accident with a successful Kickstarter fundraise for the game Warside. He's living up to his last name. Please welcome Andy Savage. So, thank you very much. Yeah, um, I don't know if there's anything you want to kind of address about you, kind of holistically, before we kind of get going into anything. I know I gave you a little intro. Um, any little pieces of detail I feel the the audience might want to know? No, I think we're going to cover a lot of uh, certainly my recent escapades in this. So, yeah, I'm very excited. So let's start with the beginning. Let's jump right into it. Um, you and your brother were close. You had differing interests, but they were adjacent in the sense that you guys could collaborate and you did. So kind of walk me through that kind of journey with your brother, what the dynamic was between you um, and and where that kind of led you. Yeah. So for the viewers that won't know, so um I lived at home for quite a long time, actually. So on my on my entrepreneur journey, in fact, after going back to university, I uh, I then moved back in with my parents, um, which was seen as a bit not that great of a, <laughs> a step at the time. And I stayed there for quite a too. while whilst I was working on these um, uh, various ventures that I did. Right, in fact, I, I didn't actually move out of my parents' house till I was just before I turned thirty, which is pretty late. Um, but that allowed me to, you know work on these ventures without having spend on rent or you know to token rent if you like because they were kind to me and uh, that got me they got me going um but yeah the, a side effect of that was that i spent a lot of time living with my brother um growing up we were i was always the the technical one if you like so i had a pretty early interest in programming or or, or just making things or tinkering and that kind of thing and he was always um this creative um he studied digital art and he went um, I can't remember which college you went to, but he did, did some sort of degree in digital art. Um, if he's listening, he's probably going to hate me for this. <laughs> <laughs> no, he uh, he'll definitely appreciate it. Me and my brother both creative. Um, me, I'm more on the business side. Him on the musical, um, entrepreneurial side. He actually just started his own record mm -hmm. label, so it's uh, you know they 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 appreciate the support. You know, they'll appreciate the shout out. Yeah. It, it meant that growing up, we had basically all the skills that we need to build, whether it was a game or a product or, or perhaps not a business, because we didn't really have the business skills when we were young, but we certainly had the the building side of it covered. So I could do some coding and he could do some artwork and we could end up with some some good products. Um, and my, my first ever game was actually something that I built uh, at university. It was an online game. Um, we're talking 20 years ago now. And I built this in my in my it ran on a little a little box that sat under my bed in my dorm room, but that was you know enough for a few thousand people to play on it. Um, and I made that, and it it paid for university. But but my brother saw it, and I think he took pity on my my complete inability to have any design or art skills, and just redid all of that. Um, no mention, didn't want anything for it. I think he was just embarrassed that his big brother had this product out there that looked appalling. Um, so he and then so many people were using, you know, <laughs> exactly. So. This was out in the wild, and it was I can't have this associated with someone I know. So he he redid that, um, and then redid it again later on as his as his skills developed. Um, but it was kind of like that for our first few businesses. Um, so later on, we went in business together because 
you know, I had the technical skills and he had the art skills, which was a great match. Um, yep. And then we, we sort of bumbled our way through the business side <laughs> with varying so, degrees uh, of success. So for that first game, um, kind of describe it. What was the name? What was the concept? I know it's super early. Are, is, are yeah. we talking just text-based, kind of like mud? So Yes, yeah, so it was an online browser-based game that would update once an hour. Um, it was called Starsphere. Um, it only had a few thousand players, but uh, you know, in the early, this would have been either 2000 or 2001 kind of era. Um, so, you know, way before phones and apps and, and many, many games. And when um, there, when it wasn't as cool to be a gamer necessarily, you know, if, if you uh, were a gamer, yes. you're searching <laughs> online for your game. So it, it was definitely less cool than it is. It is now indeed. <laughs> and this, this to be clear was, was not a cool game, right? If you were playing this, <laughs> if you were playing this kind of game, you are, you are definitely not cool. I mean, I enjoyed it, but you were not cool. I love that. I honestly probably would have still been playing it. I I love um I love just games that uh, I feel like you had to use your mind way more back then uh, and and to like complete and to kind of go through anything. So uh, I I think that um, resonated with some of those early adopters. So and then I yeah I would say uh, sorry before to to cut you off for uh, for game development. So you're talking about building this game early on, um, getting some early attention, kind of collaborating with your brother. Uh, what kept you going back and maybe building your next projects and, and growing your development skills, specifically revolving around games? Was it just you were a gamer or something else? Yeah, so it's a, it's definitely, um, I am a gamer. I've always been a gamer. And if we go back to my my childhood, I had a, a had an Amiga, which I don't think was very popular in in the US, but it was kind of the de facto gaming machine in, in Europe in the, the sort of early 90s. Um, so I had exposure to games from a, from a young age, um, but I've always been a builder, whether that's, you know, building building games or building apps or building something, right? That's given me immense satisfaction. And I, I've never lost that. Um, I love that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where that comes from, um, but I keep doing it. Um so I can't tell you I can't tell you why that's in me. Um, the only difference between sort of then me and now me is now every time I build something, it, it's more of a oh how can I commercialize this? I can uh, yeah, turn this into a, a product I can sell. At a certain point, you have to you know to really get a product into the hands of a lot of people, which is every builder's dream. You know, it's mm-hmm. to see it in use in society in day to day. Um, even if it's uh, it's a small slice, you know, you see the, the activity on there. Um, I know that's personally, I, I consider myself a builder too. And I love just that aspect of even if there's critics, like critical issues with it, you know, it's the fact that they're finding them and that they care enough to let you know. So um, that's really great. Um, so what other projects I would say in the early days did you kind of bounce around from? So you started with, this browser-based game, uh, kind of give me like a like a like a skipping of a stone kind of journey through the the kind of companies that you were in your early life. Yes, yeah, so my my career reads a bit weird in that it flip flops from uh, I do a bit of gaming and then I go into something completely different and then come back to gaming and then go away and come back and that's that's I've been doing that for twenty years. Um, there's clearly always been this drawback to gaming, but this clearly also not kept me there long enough. <laughs> <laughs> um so um so we did some as i said i did some early games straight out of university um then i worked with my brother on another business and we were making these mobile apps for um kind of really old old school phones so nokia they would have been running a, a an operating system called symbian which i think most of you have probably never heard of and they ran no. these little little java apps um and i think the, the, the stuff that we were making i think was really good um, but it was it was way way too early for that kind of thing. This was uh, you know three to four years before the App Store yep. had even existed. Three years before the iPhone had even been revealed, and we're making these little apps that you can play uh, yep. on your phone. But 
how easy was it for someone to download that? Yeah, I know. Besides distribution, yeah. was it just like that was the hardest thing is getting people aware of it? Or did you have, actually have to have an understanding kind of of how to implement it? It wasn't as easy as a, of a consumer experience to just get it on to you and actively playing it? Yeah, both. So all the all the devices were totally different. And the way that you got them on to devices tended to be different, which is a massive pain. Um, there also was no centralized place. So what what companies would do at the time you would you would send an sms to some premium number and it would send you back um some app or some dodgy yep. ringtone or something like that I, I don't know how far back you can remember but yeah um, no that kind of the peer-to-peer kind of whole relationship of it so yeah this was this there was a uh a, a company who who did one one thing they did was something called the the crazy frog ringtone I don't know if you are familiar with no. that or remember that okay it was it was somewhat big here and it was just an incredibly annoying song and they had big big TV ads, but you could you could text this service and you you would be able to get that ringtone for your phone. But it that. but it but it silently signed you up to a subscription service, which is how they they made ah. money. So you could you could like like it it wasn't nefarious, but it wasn't um transparent. Yes, it wasn't completely clear what 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 you were signing up for when you did it, right? Because you had access to all these other ringtones as part of the package, but you probably just thought you were downloading this one thing once. Yep. Um, not 100%. being billed every week of you know five dollars or whatever to keep getting <laughs> these these updates, and then you you check your phone bill however many months later, and it's like oh oh dear, what's happened here? Yeah, and um, then they're getting callbacks, and every everyone's trying to figure out ways to get their money back, and that was before they kind of had return policies or just kind of any infrastructure around what happens if you aren't happy with the service what was the agreement to begin with? So yeah, it's uh, it's a whole mess. I'm super happy to have cross that bridge and we're not looking back so it's uh it's a lot more streamlined now yeah we've definitely progressed um but that was the kind of era we were we were making apps in um so we had all those problems we had getting it getting on the phone was a was a problem distribution was a problem uh and getting people to know about it was a problem we we, we were not big enough that we could go and run a prime time advertising campaign for a ringtone Yep. Um, <laughs> and people str- are struggling <laughs> with just one of those issues now you know not having to deal with all three of them you know yeah so. yeah and and yet 10 years on there are some apps very successful apps that are basically what we made 10 years ago um yeah. and you know that you can have these great ideas but the timing isn't necessarily there yeah time is know. cruel it doesn't change for anyone so but it's uh it's necessity so but I mean, here's the thing. You are looking ahead of the curve, seeing things, and uh, we can we can come back and talk to a little bit about your your leap from developing games um, in the sense to building mm-hmm. uh, a big company with Paddle. But I think this was a good time to talk about Warside just really quickly. We'll, we'll, we'll come back into it. But uh, with Warside, you are also now in the Web3 space, which I feel like is still in the early days right now. Obviously, there's a lot of attention, but when you really look down the line, we're just chipping away at the surface right here. The depth and the, the capabilities are just endless. So um, you're all, I, I still see you peering into the future. So that's, uh, that's great to see that that um, doesn't change. So. Yeah, I think whenever you're doing it, you don't realize that you're doing it, right? You just think, yeah, this is a good idea. Um, and then it turns out you're either part of some ecosystem or something that turns out to be big, or, or maybe you missed the mark completely, right? But, you know, the, the the thing you do as an indie is is you can take all these risks. You're not making these these safe games. You, you haven't just spent two, three hundred million making another call of whatever remake, um, yep. because that's what's safe and makes you money, right? As indies, we can push the boundaries. I I completely agree. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the new news about Player Unknown, the guy who did uh, the battle royale genre with mm-hmm. with PUBG. But there's a whole bunch of stuff about him kind of building his own metaverse, and he's doing podcasts about it. I didn't know if you were you're familiar because it's it's that's another guy who has gone there and and is now looking again. He wasn't satisfied just with the the royale, and he's done. You know, it's like there's another thing to be built. Um, so builders build, yeah. But uh, so let's let's talk quickly about paddle because this is a giant jump. And like for everyone 
um, who is building and developing for themselves. And then they get the opportunity to be a part of a massive wave um, and lead that wave. Uh, what was that like? Because I know there's a lot of younger people in the audience. What did it look like? Like, how'd you get that job? Um, was it through like an introduction? Was it through um, your just application? And then what was the difference, I would say, from when you were developing for yourself with smaller teams to leading? How, how big was your team? So when I finished, the company was uh, about 150 people. Wow. Uh, my my team specifically was probably 50 to 60, something like that. Wow. So yeah, yeah, please let me take us through that journey of of getting it and and leading it. So yeah, so if we if we row all the way back, um, believe it or not, this journey actually starts in a gaming business. Uh, so it's going to be a, a, a weird meandering story. Um, so I raised some venture capital, um, some seed investment to start a, a gaming business. Um, we're probably going to touch on that later. That gaming business did okay. Um, it wasn't fantastic. wasn't a failure. It was some sort of, sort of middle ground, right? Um, but due to the type of game company we were we needed to collect lots and lots of data on our players yep. um, so we were, we were a freemium business and the way you make money in freemium is to maximize your monetization opportunities right so you need to be tracking what players are doing what they respond to what they don't respond to in, in order to make the most money possible um and we were spending a bunch of money paying another company to do that right for yep. us um so an analytics business um and due to the volume of data that we were making that became prohibitively expensive so we ended yep. up rolling sort of a tool in-house that became another business as analytics business um so i'm there with this 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 original gaming company and i've got this analytic business as well um and i've raised money from from this this uh angel investor he'd given us an office and he'd he'd also injected some money into a bunch of of other companies that were also yep in this office so it's kind of like a co-working space um but dedicated to his investments basically where synergies Um, are are encouraged uh, uh, massively right like i wished all my my other co-workers in this space success but i always wish them less success than me right? so it's highly <laughs> highly highly competitive uh and but it's only true wolves. yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it, but it's only true in that space so as soon as i leave that space I'm, I'm quite happy with everyone else getting on but but within that space and within my peers you want to be the best um so it was uh it was a pretty good you know motivational environment in terms of that that was a real driver um but fast forward, we have this analytics business and Paddle was a, a payment services company. Um, so to, to give you a quick rundown of what Paddle does, if you're, if you're selling a piece of software, there's there's all these things that you have to do which kind of distract you from making the piece of software, right? So you need some mm-hmm. kind of checkout system. You need to pay taxes. You might need to distribute license codes. Um, you might need to offer some customer support. Hey, I've lost my key, etc. And all, yeah. all those things are, are a big distraction from actually building the product in the first place. Um, and it was it was Paddle's view that, um, you know, they could do all that for you. They could do it for you better because they were doing it at scale. Um, and it would be a, a better investment of your time to pay them to take on a bunch of that um, whilst you go back to focusing on your product instead. So it was a win-win for, for both yep. parties and that was Paddle's business model. Um, but they also needed analytics. Yep. Um, so, you know, you imagine us, Paddle was actually on the desk next to me um and we were we were quite intertwined right so we've got the same investors we're going after yep. the same customers because we're both b2b um sort of SaaS companies um yep. i was doing their their early interviews their early hiring for them for example because they didn't have enough technical knowledge never and our, and our investors were sort of you know very much you know why, why why don't you become one and we were kind of on our own paths going i don't want to do that from from both sides, right? Not just one hundred percent. Not just them. Um, you know, you know the sacrifices that have to come in when you are merging a vision, essentially. You know, yeah, with two yeah. very, I would say, passionate companies. So, um, but as time went on, they they grew faster than we did, uh, and our investors were still pushing us together. And and uh, you know, at one point, it made sense um, for them to acquire us and then take me on uh, as as CTO. Um, so. You know, while officially I only worked there for three years, um, I'd kind of been working there for another two years before that. Yeah. Just, just without being paid for it. Um, and, you know, helping them structure their early team and doing their early hires. Um, so that's how I, I kind of ended up there. It was, it was, you know, a good fit. 
Um, they got a product and they got someone who had led some teams in that space before and filled a gap that that they didn't have. Yep. No, that's that's awesome. And I would say, so you said you weren't getting paid right there. What? How did your responsibilities change when you effectively became the CTO? So what you weren't as, were you still hiring and that technical leader? Were you seeing how more of product overview? What did, what was your like POV now when you are literally second in command of a huge company? So, yeah. So, so when I, when I first joined, uh, we weren't, we weren't huge, right? Um, yeah. So they went through a, a scaling process and, and anytime you go through a startup that's going through a scaling process, particularly yeah. as a senior management, you have, you have a bunch of hats to wear and you just have to pick up everything that's even vaguely related to your department and probably beyond that, right? Because there isn't yep. enough people to do these things. Um, Especially like you said, the technical voice when the hiring process is crucial, you know, yeah. and making sure that it, that the checks are, are, are checked. So, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a hiring process in place when I started, for example, there wasn't, there wasn't a team structure. We, we didn't know what team structure we needed because we weren't yet sure what we were building. Um, but the, you know, so I, I think I was officially employee number 12. And obviously, as I say, when I left, we were uh, yeah, about 150-ish. Um, but definitely the hats that you wear change significantly as you scale. So so as a as a technical employee at number 12, you're, you're, you're acting more like um, a senior engineer, if you like. You're, yeah. you're doing code reviews, you're checking what people are doing, you're designing some architecture. May, maybe you've got one eye on the product, for example. Yep. Um, and then as you scale up, say at 60 employees, you're you're very much less in the weeds now you're not really looking at code at all you're more you're more looking at um what do we need to execute on the next three six 12 months yep. what are the things we need to stay alive what threats are going to come along to kill us do, we do you have, have a team board at this point or yes. who are you yes. okay okay so they're um, kind of determining what kpis and what metrics you're focusing on and it's, it's okay yeah, so they're determining the KPIs for the, for the company, and then we would you know filter that down. So we would have departmental KPIs and team KPIs, and in our in our um, we would have uh, individual KPIs as well. Yep. Um, so we would use uh, the OKR system for that, which is similar. Um, okay. So you're 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 you're. So that's, I don't know if you're familiar. That's, that's objective and key results. So you're, you're yep. setting objectives for the department, and then your key results, and they filter down. So you, your your individual objectives become the uh the 100%. and you guys said you had an office was there any remote aspect to this or this is all kind of in one space this was all in one space and, okay awesome and it, it it changed so the the incubator office was quite nice um but but the 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 business owner who who had been funding most of, uh, both of our startups to start with their company got bought um uh i think for about 50 million something like that so it was a, it was a reasonable exit for him and almost as soon as that happened, they were like, how do we get these businesses out of our office? We want them gone, right? <laughs> so we transitioned from this nice office where we had all these amenities on tap to basically this this concrete breeze block blue room with no running water, um, 20 people in a 12-person office. Yeah, um, where the know, dream is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where you're with this proper scrappy startup, you know, just plain walls, boring in this rundown old place. Um, going well, we will get some money and move eventually, which, yep. which we did. But you know, at the time we were in this, it, it was pretty dumpy. <laughs> That's awesome. Sec- secondhand furniture and that kind of thing. I mean, I, I I love it. You know, my team's completely remote right now, but we're in the first talks of like where we're setting up our headquarters, and um, we 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 kind of like the whole warehouse vibe. We like that where it's like you could have the studio space and we don't mind as as long as it's mm-hmm. square footage with a roof and it's safe to a certain degree like that's where we're building the dream so um and then you can earn like you know the the amenities etc down the line so um okay so you set up the uh the hiring process you were um helping with the architecture um, with coding, the code review, setting up kind of the structure to be able to get to that 100, 150 people. Um, where did you kind of eventually, when did you see yourself, hey, like this is coming to the end of my journey. I'm peering my head into a new direction. What was that direction looking like? Um, what is it because you were more interested in starting something up again? Or just walk me through that time. Yeah, so it was an interesting kind of the exit was never was never planned, right? Um, and I suspect if you asked people in Paddle, maybe they would have a different interpretation of the events than, than, than I did. Yeah. But I had um, 
I had some health issues which were going on at the time, which were kind of distracting me from what should have been the role. Um, so anytime you're leading a startup, you know, it's it's, it's basically 100%, 110% all the time, full on weekends that uh, there's, there's sort of no let up, right? You know, you, you, you yep. can do things, but if something happens, you're expected to be there um, constantly. 100%. So it's, it's, it's reasonably easy to burn out after you've been do- doing that for at paddle for five years and then your own yep. business for five years before that that's a long time to be constantly on and constantly wired um 100 so that, that coupled with you know as i say some some issues with my health going on um i definitely was losing love for it um and yeah you know we decided it was best if we uh, parted ways at that point Okay. Yeah, no, I, I resonate with that completely. Um, where it's just always on, it has to be the focus in the forefront of your mind because you're moving so quickly in so many directions all at once. Um, it's like it, you love it, but you do get burnt out, like, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like that balancing act to, for longevity. So um, where did you go after paddle like walk me through that transitionary period was that i was yeah yeah, yeah so this is this, this this is quite a short story um <laughs> so uh i left mutually and i left through uh, an investor buyout so i got yep. to sell you know a bunch of my the equity that i held back to the investors at a, yep. at a good rate um so i was suddenly you know having worked however lot you know for at least 10 years completely flat out I was like okay I'll, I'll take some holiday time yep. so i did that i traveled for about six months um and then as i'm sure everyone in the world will be aware covid happened so (laughs) that that immediately (laughs) stopped that um in fact i remember trying to get back because you know uh suddenly everywhere was locked and i I was in the wrong country to get back from and that (laughs) was that was what country were you in uh so i was only in in the canary islands which is um off off morocco but it's part of spain but uh all the flights were were being cancelled um and I couldn't. I, I ended up having to fly a chain of countries um, wow. to get back. Um, you island hopped lo- back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I actually looked at there, there was there was another business guy there who was also desperate to get back. So we looked at chartering a plane to see if we could just fly straight back. Um, but we, you know, it was going to be ostentatiously expensive. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Just just yeah. to come home, it was doable, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you're like, is this the dent worth it? Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, we, we don't need a, you know, like a 737 in head of state configuration to fly two of us home from the Canaries. <laughs> as much as it would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been one hell of a story. But the the fact that you considered it, that's it's nice to know that you had the the option. So you weren't fully stuck, but you you put your your thinking hat on and you you got back. It just took yeah, a little more time. It, it, in the end, it was a it was a, a bit of a rough journey. So maybe I should have gone the other route. But anyway, we got back. Um, COVID happened, as you know, and then during COVID, uh, I got run over. Uh, I got hit by a car. Wow! And that was a. A, uh, yeah that wasn't in the plan it wasn't my finest day yeah. it, it kind of sucked um, so for, for full context I've got one of those little electric scooters that are great for getting okay. around the city Yeah. Uh, uh, the first car was talking to a child in the back seat not looking where they were going they've gone into me and it's thrown me into a second car on the other side Oh um, God. and that does quite a lot of mess yeah wow um that's what was the, what was the timeline for i mean like how like do you remember that moment or is it like hey you kind of like wake up in the hospital like oh fuck no i remember that um wow and i remember most of after it as well it's it's really weird i like i had no pain at all apparently this is it's not uncommon that this happens um you know you're full of partially you're in shock because you've just yeah. <laughs> you just hit two vehicles yeah. and, and you're full of adrenaline and i i felt absolutely no pain um to the wow. point where i was telling people don't call an ambulance i'll be fine i'll just walk home i hadn't noticed that my legs weren't working yet but <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> um, which was a wow. bit of a give, i don't mean a give away later but yeah um, it's why at what point was it like once you got in the ambulance or like when you got to the hospital, when did you realize you didn't have feeling in your legs? Uh, so I could feel them. I just couldn't okay. control, I couldn't control them. 
Oh, okay. Um, which is a weird sensation. So it just feels. At least like, you could feel them then. Yeah. That's, so I yeah. so I could touch them, but any you know the muscle movements were gone. It just felt like there was a, a thousand ton weight attached to you. So you'd feel like wow. you were straining at the gym, like you were lifting the heaviest weight possible, and nothing would happen. Um, but just in any movement, so you know your brain was sending the instructions there, and they they weren't happening. Wow. Wow. And. Yeah, that's just, I, I couldn't imagine it. That's a wild card, especially after such a high win. You're already dealing with issues coming back and you get back and then it's like, all right, there's a new way I'm living my day-to-day life now for the foreseeable future. So mm-hmm. um, I know this is kind of the introduction to what made you want to start Warside and and really focus on another game project, but how long from like, well, how long were you in the hospital? When did you get back? Kind of what was that process like mentally to you? Um, yeah. And yeah. So I was in and out of the hospital. So this was, I don't know if it was handled the, the same in the US, but certainly here, um, this was the middle of the COVID pandemic. Yep. Um, and they didn't want you staying in hospital um, for the, for, for the t- you know, if, if you could not be. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I was in, in the resource area after I'd just been hit, you know, the person next to me was put uh was intubated to go into intensive care with covid so i was like wow. oh, I, I don't i don't want that um so they they do the emergency treatment right and they they figure out that you know okay bit, bits of you are, are not attached correctly but you're not actually dying right there's no internal organs yep. bleeding or anything so functionally you're 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 going to hurt but you're going to be fine um, and then they, they sort of slow down the, the rate at which they, they do work on you. So I was in and out. Um, I think I was, I was probably bed bound for maybe only about a month total. So that was, you know, not being able to move at all. Um, well, you know, you could twist, but it was, yeah. You know. So like who, who helped you out in that moment was, did you have like a designated, you hired someone for it? It was your family. What was kind of that? That yeah, like so my lot, yeah. so in the hospital obviously you have a, a bunch of hospital staff, and then yeah. if you're if you're at home, um, mostly my partner would look after me. Um, what a what a sweet what a sweet person. That's, well, uh, for, fortunately, due to COVID, uh, yeah. we'd had to sort of start living together because otherwise yep. you, you weren't supposed to see each other. Um, yep. So, you know, in that kind of respect, it worked out. Um, but yeah, so I spent I spent only about a month not being able to move at all, and then I probably spent the next year being housebound. Um, so I could hobble, you know, from the bed to a chair and from the chair to a toilet. And that was kind of my life for that next year. Yep. So Um, in that time you were like, all right, it is time for me to focus on something I'm interested. And that was an RTS game in web three. So, and you wanted to do it on Kickstarter. So like all of these things are, I don't think you had self-published the game recently um, uh, at this kind of scale with this much kind of backing behind it. Mm-hmm. And you're now doing it also in a market that has mixed opinions based off of uh, kind of some some bad players um, in the line, but with a with a good concept. And I, I'm a big fan of the, the kind of genre and the style of game. Um, you were able to successfully fundraise, you know, and, and do this. But um, do you kind of want to go through that moment where you were like, I'm now going to build this game? Who did you first look to hire? Then when did you decide you were going to go on Kickstarter? And what was that mm-hmm. process like? Yeah, so you're, you're, you're certainly right. And I wanted to do something fun, right? Um, yeah. Not just fun, but as a, as a distraction. So looking at the same set of four walls whether that's your office wall or your bedroom wall for a year is pretty pretty boring um yep. is, you, you go pretty mental and this 100%. was i remember this was at the end of covid so i don't know if you had similar restrictions here that, uh, in the u.s but certainly we'd we'd spent a number of months where we weren't allowed oh i lived out. in los angeles we were on lockdown too yeah yeah so, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. this this was this this so i got hit the first time i'd left my house when lockdown ended <laughs> it was the first time i'd gone out in in what yeah. three months or whatever to only then have another year <laughs> stuck yep. in the room um so it's pretty easy to go crazy quickly and i want yep. you know i wanted to, some kind of outlet and as, as a builder building something was the natural thing to do um and i'd had this idea for a you know that the, the time-based tactics genre had been unloved for a, a while and i had these ideas bouncing in my head of, of what i wanted to do with it so i thought yeah let's start on something and see how far we get 
Uh, and you know awesome. it was pretty slow because you're, you're fitting this around rehabilitation work and hospital yep. work and I had I had follow-up surgeries which then reduce you back to being able not be able to move again and, and you just you just some days you wake up and your body's like you're gonna hurt today and you're not yep. gonna get anything done and some days you're fine um, yeah sometimes you're battling not starting a company which is a, a men's battle you're battling he- health and like healing so you sometimes need to divide and, and conquer and focus on the immediate health concerns so yeah but at the same time for the days where where i could do stuff it was it was a great outlet right i, I yep. got to do something that i enjoyed and it was fun putting all these concepts together you know sometimes they work sometimes they don't seeing where it goes that kind of thing um so i'm pretty happy with the process and what was achieved did you do it yourself who did you first uh bring on or yeah, yeah. so okay. it, it was all the initial stuff was was me um awesome. and then i got i got uh uh, some help with the art basically um awesome. so we, we did some initial program art like i'm better than i was when my brother was redoing my art 20 years ago <laughs> um i can do a bit of animation but i wouldn't consider myself an artist right um mid, middle of the road i'd say now. yeah um, enough, hey, you're enough, enough to, to blueprint by. it but then you want someone whose expertise is to bring that depth out you know it, it, yeah, it's very exactly. important yeah, it's, it's, it's good enough to get some concepts across and they can give something back. And then if I want to tweak it, my skills are good enough to make adjustments, yeah. um, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's how this sort of... Where'd you together. find the artist? Where where would you look? Where'd you find them on the internet? So initially, I tried to bully my brother, um, <laughs> uh, who this time, you know, he's he's on a different a different path now. He's yep. got he's got two young children and a wife and a, and a house and he's, he's on... Uh, a different path to me and he was yep. kind of I'm a, I'm a bit busy <laughs> yeah yeah that makes <laughs> which is, sense which is fine um yeah so I, I was looking online for someone um who had done this kind of thing before um and I actually found Bertrand who is the the other guy I'm working with on this project um just coincidentally through reddit awesome um, and you know it turns out that not only is he's a, a great pixel artist but he'd been making board games in his spare time so he's a good game designer as well and he'd, he'd even been working on a, a turn-based tactics board game um it's like you're so destined to a, meet exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and i'm a big he, reddit fan and you when you go into certain rabbit holes into certain kind of uh subreddits and you see people posting you can get a good understanding of their already underlying interests and then it's just about are they interested do they have their own project mm-hmm. so that's that's really great so. Yeah, to me, Reddit is this this amazing place of of this is amazing contrast, right? It's 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 all this fantastic stuff going on, and there's there's also quite a lot of uh, let's call it Reddit rage happening at the same time. Yeah, I, I like it because uh, as someone who understands SEO, uh, I love typing in my question with Reddit so that I get a true answer. Because <laughs> if there's rage, you know there's truth. So uh, and, and that's something Reddit uh, is great for. But okay, so you went to Kickstarter um, as where you wanted to release this game. At what point did you feel comfortable starting to build this campaign? How mm-hmm. did you do it? How do you reach a success? Because I know a lot of people don't get success on a Kickstarter, and I feel like they'd be very interested in knowing your tips, like A to Z, on how you went through it. Yeah, so initially I wasn't sure what I was going to do, right? Whether this was going to be Kickstarter or, or something else. Um, what I wanted was some validation for the game. I wanted to make sure that yep. what I was making, um, people were actually were going to like. Um, you don't ever really want to make a game and then find that only two people care for it, right? Um, you know, I like building stuff, and and even though I was building stuff for me as a focus, I, I, I still want to build something that other people would be interested yep. in playing, right? One hundred percent. So I thought about how I could validate this. Um, you know get some reaction on social media get some reaction on reddit that kind of thing um and and see what it was like but then i thought you know what what i could do is just put it on kickstarter um not only then will you get a bunch of feedback because either people are going to pay for this or they're not um but you're also then building a community of people who care about what you're making so one of the things that kickstarter is great for is building that community and um, they're invested in, in your game and you can as as you're building out as you're testing you can share concepts with them you can give them beaters of things that you want to test um, and they can give you immediate feedback as an audience that you know is is already quite invested in what you're making 100 
And they really but, make you break down the kind of pathway to a product too. And they mm -hmm. have to agree on that. So, yeah. Um, so we got, in terms of how to run a Kickstarter, um, I'm still not sure, a hundred percent sure that I know, right. I know that I know what, what we did and it was, it was successful. Um, if you are, it, it was a huge, huge amount of effort. And if you asked me if I was going to do another one, I would probably say, no, this is a crazy idea, particularly someone like myself, who's, who's <laughs> got funding and could have done this yeah. just, just anyway. Right. Um, it was a huge, huge amount of effort. Um, but it kind of all, all started when we accidentally got some press coverage. Um, so I was making this, I use a game engine called Godot, which is what I've yep. been building this in. That's um, how we got connected with Randolph. Mm -hmm. so. um, and I posted on the Godot forums just a little uh, 10, 15 second clip of this little turn-based game that I had been working on. And I thought, you know, I was just sharing back with the community, the Godot community, what, what I had been working on. So I posted that, went to bed, thought nothing of it. Um, so I wake up in the morning to you know, 500 or so notifications. Um, there's news articles in N Nintendo Life about this game that I'm suddenly making that's coming <laughs> next year. I'm like, oh, okay, right. <laughs> yep. Hey, um, that's how it is. You you make something that you're passionate about, but you also consider other people's interests and then a little magic happens. So Yeah, so I think we got a bit, we got a bit lucky with that exposure. Um, then I had to hastily put a website together and some socials because we, did, we didn't have any of this right because there's all this press going around but there's nowhere for people to go um so i cobbled together a bunch of that um and then slowly just released stuff over time to try and build up an audience while we were making the game um i think it's very important to have some kind of audience ready when you kickstarter um i completely agree so uh we had not, not massive maybe two thousand followers on twitter we'd had um uh, I'm not sure how many on Facebook, but about three and a half thousand people who given their emails via our website to learn about awesome. Kickstarter. And then maybe another one and a half thousand had, had said, uh, you, you can follow on Kickstarter before the That's campaign still for, comes live. And for an indie game, that is a prime community. That is a great community. You know, I would say that that's perfect. You know, that's a great place to start and test and then kind of be able to build with still a little bit of freedom and because that those early adopters want to see the game grow. So, you know, they're more willing to provide uh, insight. Yeah, insight and feedback. Uh, and they've all got their own ideas. Um, some are fantastic. Some are less compatible with what I'm doing. I don't, I don't want to say any are bad. It's just that I've got yeah. this, this vision of where I want to go. And sometimes you could say that that, that that doesn't fit right. Um, but So they're a great source of ideas. I'm hoping they're going to be a great source of, of testing and feedback as we develop. Yeah, one hundred percent. I, yeah, I think early adopters now, especially ones who are willing to invest, um, that's great. Yeah, and we, you know, part of this testing process is I want to give them um, a bunch of content that only they will get as part of this journey, right? So there'll be test maps that never make it into release. There'll be there'll be there'll be unit concepts that we we make that will never make it into release, but only these testers will have seen, right? And that's. That's uh, my way of saying thanks for supporting us and thanks for getting involved in this testing journey and, you know, incentivizing the the on-the-fence people to, uh, you know, come and try and get, get more involved in testing. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's something that I would 100% contribute for. So I might need to go peep the Kickstarter after this video. So um, that's really great. I guess, is there anything that you would have done differently if you were, I know you said you might not do this again, but let's say you were going to do a crowdfunding kind of yeah. game what if would I was you do forced at gunpoint um, yeah <laughs> definitely mistakes were made right um first of all don't try and make a kickstarter in six days that is not long enough um so whilst we've been doing audience building and stuff there's still so much stuff you have to prepare for the main yep. campaign so there's all the you know the, there's all the the content body um the talking about your game the artwork about your game there's your stretch goals you have to go and plan uh, your rewards, you have to go and get quotes for all the rewards so you know that your tiers are priced correctly, you have to go and get shipping quotes, all these things. Um, none of those are particularly complicated. They just take a bunch of research time if you haven't done it before because you don't know where you're looking. Um, but six days is not enough time to do all those tasks. Um, well, what is a, what, what a time, amount of time would be a comfortable for you? Uh, I think a month would have been much better. Um, and that's everything prepared and you're just promoting it for a month? 
everything's prepared up into that like the the goals etc you you launch it so and a, a, a month a month to prepare all those things that you need okay. for launch um audience building probably takes i reckon you want to do three four maybe even six months i don't know there's okay. there, there's probably a uh, a period where it's too far in that people have seen it and then they've kind of forgotten about your product yep. a bit uh and there's you know and there's if, if you're doing it all up front, you're you're reducing the amount of time that you've got to collect all of these these audience, right? Um, so the only way to collect massive audience amount front is is either to get lucky uh, or to throw money at it. And most indies are not in the position to do either of those things. What did you um, budget for, uh, like like social media marketing, kind of getting people on? Were you um, on the Kickstarter trending pages at all? Anything like that? No. So <laughs> you can tell by my unhappy face about that. I, we, we didn't get project we love. We didn't get thrown up the rankings. Um, That's, I looked at the the page. It looks great. It's a project I would love, but they didn't. You know. Yeah. You know. I don't know what what makes Kickstarter decide which ones they love and which ones they don't. We we did get traffic from Kickstarter by being on Kickstarter. I yep. say the multiplication was uh, about sixty percent ours, forty percent theirs. Um, although it's hard to know because they, it's just last touch attribution. So, you know, yep. you might have got a, a customer interested off site who's then browse Kickstarter for a bit and then Kickstarter's claim the credit. So it's, it's hard to know. Um, I did a bunch of analysis and graphs for those who are interested that's on the Kickstarter page. So you can see where the different people came from, um, Amazing. rather than me covering that now. Um, yeah, I'll link all of that into the bio description. Perfect, Anyone perfect. who's curious about playing games, like, please check it out follow it up he's not it's not going to be his first one it's a lava bird studio so this is just the first game they put out i know more will come so definitely keep tabs um and especially follow their socials for that yeah um but the main bit of advice certainly is give yourself a longer time window in our our case we were reacting to so as you've say said you've, you've noticed yourself that uh reboot reboot camp launched this year um, so Advance Wars Reboot Camp, which is the the remake yep. of, of Advance Wars, uh, and also Wargroove Two, which is okay. a, a fantasy themed in the same sort of space. Um, they announced the day we were going to reveal our trailer, so that was perfect timing. So we had yeah, to delay it, again. It's a huge wave. Yeah, it's a huge wave of interest. Um, and since you are building it on the Goddard engine, um, you are essentially are able to procedurally generate a lot of kind of the different, I would say, map structures, the unit sphere fighting, the even unit creation. Obviously, you have to train and and make sure that it it's uh, set up properly. But once you kind of get in the groove, uh, it makes kind of creating and generating content uh, borderline endless. Correct? Yeah. So you mentioned that. So we did a bunch of work on so most of the the maps themselves certainly the test maps um we've got a system for procedurally generating test maps i give it a size and i give it a style of map whether that's islands or whatnot um because we need a we need a bunch of test maps and we need a bunch Mm -hmm. of content for the trailer um and it was as quick for me to to make you know manually make all these maps you know we needed like 20 or 30 different test maps and it was it was going to be as quick to produce these maps as it was to produce an algorithm that can produce maps um, yeah. so we ended up going down that route um but even even things like the the graphics so the the ground and the water is all procedurally generated so i don't have to make the art for all of those things um individual objects trees are, are hand drawn and units are, are hand drawn um by Bichon. but um yeah, a lot of the ground stuff is all coding magic. We'll um, bring you back on with Randy when uh, we talk and deep dive kind of into that engine specifically because sure. I've been learning so much about it and just like the ability to like, let's even just say you want to attach a quest line and to produce that content with parallel achievements that produces the maps for that kind of like line, you know? It's like, it really allows it... Um, like similar to how like a DND like uh, like mm-hmm. kind of campaign GM manager would would go through and and create something on a new night, you know they're they're able to produce this um, if if it's trained properly. If you do the work and you create the art and the lore behind it, it'll extend that. So I've, I've been loving it, and uh, I'd love to see you two talk about that specifically. So yeah, I mean. Uh procedure generated or you know ai driven not just art but but everything right so so assets maps 
characters background lore even as he mentioned um it's all capable of doing that even now and there are tools to to do various bits of that process and it's only going to get better over the next two three four five years um 100 i can certainly see I don't know where it's going to go for indies. Um, I, I know the big studios are already making big use of it to sort of reduce the cost because they can deliver and they can iterate on yeah. things much quicker. Um, whether that will filter down and that will, you know, will have capabilities that allow indies to also to produce things quicker um, yeah. remains to be seen. They might, they might keep that for themselves. I think maybe um, the NPC generator might might make its way to the public where it's just kind of these almost like conscience NPCs where I saw they're already training them in Sims-like environments mm-hmm. where they're starting to make their own decisions after a certain amount of duration. So I just think that will add a lot of depth to indie games where it's like maybe a package of characters and then they end up after a certain amount of time start making their own decisions, you know, and you can kind of plug that in, so... Yeah, so uh, as a game dev, you know, as a, an indie game dev, and, and and as a game player, I'm kind of super excited to see uh, where all this goes, particularly in the, particularly long term as well. Um, I, I I certainly see. I think, you know, maybe we're going off topic slightly, but but within our lifetime, I don't think it's unreasonable that people no longer make games; they just type in prompts and they get a game that's you know magically what they wanted, or even, yeah, even they don't type in prompts, you know. So. It, even without prompts, you know, there's there's scope for it's looked at what you've enjoyed in the past uh, and gone bang. Here's a game that I think you're going to play that's just whizzed out of of thin air, um, and I can certainly see that happening within our lifetimes. What that, what that does for the industry, I don't know, but I, I could see it as well too. Once it once it doesn't kind of get into that loop and it just like is able to go for a longer duration, I think that's what Randy has been mentioning. Randy's my CTO and co-founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it eventually loops back around and you have to kind of restructure the prompt or, or put it into a new kind of uh, trainer. So, um, and also my, my knowledge is, is a little bit more, less limited. So we'll, we'll bring it back and, and let you guys really dive into the technical parts. But sure. we are talking fun. about what, yeah, well, uh, we're talking about web three, the metaverse um, kind of right now, what does that mean to you? Um, specifically, let's say the metaverse you talked about, game creation but like what well, well it's a big question what does that mean yeah so i want to be clear that i hate the term like many people metaverse because um i still think it's it's too meaningless i, I get where it's trying to go um i hate it as a word regardless of where it's trying to go <laughs> um but for me um yeah, I, I can definitely see a future. Uh, I, I don't know how far down, you know, five, ten years, something like that, where we are, or or, or it's it, not necessarily that we are, but but it's normal to also exist in one of these virtual worlds. Um, yep. you know, VR headsets are becoming commoditized, and I suspect they will get smaller and and more distributed as we go, and that technology will only continue, right? Um, and there will well, there will end up being, I suspect, not one but a bunch of mainstream platforms um which collectively i guess you could call the metaverse as these places yep. to exist um you know i don't know if if you've ever read or or seen ready player one that kind of yep. thing read um, it and and seen it great 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 book even better movie in my opinion so i i can see within our lifetime that's not just happening but but being likely to happen and perhaps perhaps being normal um, that is where I see the metaverse going, and obviously we're we're miles away from that kind of situation 100%. yet. But whoever gets there and whoever gets there and does that right, right, stands to make not not just billions but but trillions, which is why all these companies yeah. are investing and all borderline this money. borderline control, which is what potentially the whole kind of Ready Player One kind of uh, kind of character arc is. It's like you know they they have all the money in the world, but. They want to kind of control how people interact and that's where they're interacting, you know? So um, people can play God. Yeah, yeah. For me, I, I like to avoid the the ethical morality questions just because I don't know where it's going. And I think it's going to sure. largely depend on on who is controlling these platforms at the time. Um, going on what we've seen recently, it's probably going to be megacorps rather than governments. Whether that's better or worse, I don't know. I'm not sure at the, the moment I have huge trust <laughs> in either. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's a that's a uh, a pin in that, and we'll uh, we'll kind of see TBD for that. So yeah, um, we can have this this. You can get me on in ten years, and we'll see what's happened. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see where we're at in all in ten years. Um, so I guess kind of speaking of that question, and we'll kind of go into the kind of last couple like overarching questions mm-hmm. um, that I'd like to ask um, about the future. But where do you kind of see yourself in, in the next five years? What are you building? Do you see Lava Birds as kind of where you want to spend most of your time? Do you see like, wh- I guess, yeah, where do, where do you see yourself? What do you, what do you want to build? Yeah, so I've got some some reasonably modest personal goals. Um, so being able to walk unaided for a long time would be a good start. Um, you know, uh, I'm a, before the accident, I was a keen rock climber. So that was my number one awesome. hobby that wasn't, wasn't game dev, um, which is it's kind of why the accident was so annoying, right? So I'm used to hurting myself all the time, but this one wasn't, wasn't my own doing. It was somebody else's yep. doing. And I don't yep. mind it when I injure myself when, you know, it's because <laughs> I've fallen off something or I've done something stupid, but, uh, yeah, so fix, fix my health, um, get back to you know, existing in society, not just existing on screens, being mobile enough for that. Um, in terms of business-wise, um, I'd love for Warside to spin up into a little franchise. Um, so awesome. I've got plans bouncing around my head for, for the sequels. I'd love to do a parallel universe Warside. So Warside Futures, where it's the same kind of game, but, but sci-fi and have both of these uh, franchises running. Um, I'd love for Lava Bear to turn to a little, a little independent studio. So I'm thinking maybe around the kind of 30 mark where it's enough that everyone still knows each other. We can be making great games that I think people will love and it can feel kind of like less like a business, more like a family sort of that kind of uh, feel to it. Um, that's what I th- certainly would love that over the next five years. Yeah, I would love to see that, honestly. Um, and I'm you got a new fan of the game as well. I'm going to be checking it out. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll give you my notes. I'm excited to see some of those, uh, characters that might not make it down <laughs> into that, that franchise, you know, so I had the sneak peek. Um, and this is something that we talked about when I was, uh, getting um, some information on you before the podcast, but, uh, and this is something a lot of founders and builders face, but let's talk about work-life balance. So I know this is something that you've been trying to improve on, um, and that you haven't kind of like you've, you've been heads down really building and you mentioned even some of your relationships have suffered do you want to kind of mention uh kind of that that mindset and uh kind of if like where you're at right now with it yeah um it's certainly uh, at the moment it's quite trendy to talk about work-life balance and how you know which is which is a good thing because people are you know striving to make their lives better um but uh entrepreneurship it's hard. It's really hard. Making something from nothing is incredibly difficult. You have to take on so much uh, and throw so much time at it. Um, there are people in the school of thought that says, you know, work work smarter, work more efficiently, and you can still do this. And, and perhaps there is some truth to that. You know, I, I certainly in my journey haven't worked to, you know, I've made mistakes on the way and things that I could have done better. Um, but if you're competing against someone who is also working as smart as you, who's just going 110% at it, are you going to beat them? And, and you know, in business, there's you, you win or you die, um, yep. basically. Um, so it's certainly, uh, as an entrepreneur and as, as senior management, I found it incredibly, incredibly difficult. In the, and you're correct, relationships were neglected on the way. Um, my, my path meant... Um, and I was conscious that this was happening, right? This this wasn't a, you know, a, a, or where did this come from? I, I knew I was neglecting these relationships to go and focus on this thing because that's what I had prioritized. Um, but certainly I had far, far less communication with my family over the, the 10 years where I was completely heads down. Um, I saw n- not no friends, but less friends. Uh, and a lot of the friendships were kind of... Um, work relationships so people that you would also work with that you would be friends with um as opposed to you know school friends who you would travel out and see at the weekend or something like that you know um long-term friends stay with you whether whether you're you're there or not um so they were all there when i when i suddenly finished my journey like hi guys they were all still (laughs) still around you know your friends hey you want a pint let's go yeah yeah um but there are definitely i think sacrifices you have to you have to make and you need to decide 
um, where on that, that that spectrum you want to be and which of those sacrifices you want to make, whether that's your free time, your hobbies, your, your, yeah. your health even is something you can sacrifice. Um, yep. Or, or, you know, friends, family, relationships. So, uh, no, I mean, but you also don't have to do it alone. You found a great partner and, and everything. So uh, I would say it, it, you really need to, I feel like what you said, be honest with what you want to achieve and then be real realistic of how much work it's going to take to get there. You know, what sacrifices you're going to be making so that you're not resenting people that those who matter stay, you know, mm-hmm. because they, they understand that you'll see them when you can, but you, you have something you have to selfishly focus on for the greater good. Um, and, and when you're finding a partner, make sure they're okay with it, you know, and they, they want to kind of merge lives, not kind of make you change yours. So, um, I feel like it, I, I'm happy to hear that at least, uh, with this new project that you're working on and, uh, with the kind of recovery and rehab for your health, um, I feel like you're finding a little bit of that that balance. Obviously, you're you're a savage. You're gonna keep working hard on it. Um, but I, I think it's uh, I think you mentioned that you uh, were practicing this, even if just slightly, um, for improvement. Yeah, a bit. Um, I think <laughs> one of the things I can't wait for I I can't wait to get better so that I can stop doing all that rehab every day. Because <laughs> I just keep thinking, oh, that's that's like two hours a day that I could be, I could be, whether that's working or seeing friends or, or something. Yeah. I, I think I would split it a bit better. So that during the week I would, I would work on that. And then during the weekend, I would use that as, as free time. Right. But it's, uh, and it's like in the recovery from the rehab, like you said, there's some days where it's just like, it's too sore. You know, you're making a huge stride and a hurdle in recovery and that makes your body almost shut down while it's healing. Uh, so I wanted to wrap up with uh, one more final, I guess two more final questions. The first one being, uh, what lesson were you most thank- thankful you have learned on this this entrepreneurial journey? Does it have to be one? Are you going to pin me on one? No, you could. You I'll give to. you top three. <laughs> need. Yeah. Um, certainly leading back to work-life balance uh, and burnout. Um, you definitely need to learn that you can't do everything, and it took me so long to learn this. I'm not. I'm not convinced that I even fully believe it myself now that I'm saying it to you. Um, I think I'm very good at you know it's it's, it's do as I say, not not as I do kind of advice. Yep. It. Um, you know, there's only so much time you have, um, and as any senior leadership or entrepreneur or, or or anything where you're trying to create something and build something from nothing, there's going to be so so many tasks and you 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 can't do them all. you physically can't do them all um and they either get done poorly they don't get done or the third option is to get someone else and delegate them to delegate to someone um i think for me part of that was um a trust issue um not not that i didn't think they would do a good job but i had an idea in my head about how i wanted the task done um and you know that's that's really my problem for not being able to express that well enough that gets better as you build up a team um yep. you know you build up a team of people um who show you that you know they're, they're great at these things and in in many cases you're building a team because they've got skills that you lack and they're they're actually mm-hmm. going to do a better job than you can do um, yep so that's something you can pick up um but as i say it's something i i still struggle with even now um, no uh yeah i think most entrepreneurs it's your baby you know you're building so you want to make sure that uh if you have the hours in the day you're going to spend them on it so exactly exactly and it's it's not always it's not always helpful to be doing that not at all um, but that's what you do um communication communication is the other big one uh, and that just kind of covers everything right so that's communication with your team that's communication um with them back to you uh, and that's communication that you're not in part of um, and between themselves um, and then communication with your customers. So having communication basically helps helps every single part of your business. Um, it's it's not something that comes naturally to me. It's something I've had to work on for, for most of my life. Um, I think I'm okay. I'd, I'd rate myself sort of mid-level now. Um, I'm not, I'm still not the best public speaker. I'm still not the best at, you know, expressing all of my thoughts clearly. Um, and some people are, are kind of naturals at this and, and some of us have to have to work harder than other. Um, but it's something that you need to be work on, you need to work on constantly, right? Um, it's fluid as your team scales, the the ways that you communicate with them um, will break down, they won't work. Um, you know, maybe you have 
daily meetings or websites that you share information yep. on or posts or whatever whatever mechanic you're using at every, at every sort of inflection point of scaling all those processes break down um so the communication is incredibly fluid and it's something that you need to be working on constantly that 100%. that never stops and even more importantly, in this age of remote work, you know, we have a team of 22 people now and we're, we've been scaling up and it's uh, it's the the making sure that the commu- communication channels are open. People feel like they can uh, like freely kind mm-hmm. of discuss and provide their opinions because creating that space is is huge. And sometimes it gets swept under the rug. So I completely agree. And then you're, if you don't have that open door for communication, you're missing out on potentially things you aren't thinking about and avenues that you might have overlooked. So, yeah, as you say, it's in this remote age, it's, it's doubly hard because you're no longer there. You can't just, you know, grab your coworker um, or, or knock on your manager's office or go to their desk or whatever setup you've got going. Um, and you miss a lot of that um sort of organic information yep. flow that you would get for free um not not that you necessarily need that you can sort of work around it but it means you have to actually design a system and put effort into making this happen yep. whereas you was you know in in the the old ways uh you got a bunch of stuff for free and you could get away with it without working on it as much a hundred percent i mean i think it's for the best so mm-hmm. um and uh, the final question, and this has been one one incredible conversation, so thank you. But we ask all our guests this, what are you doing this next year to level up? So, Yeah, well, as we touched on earlier, I'm going to continue yep. my uh, rehabilitation. Um, yep, I really, and I wish you the best. I really want to get off, off crutches uh, and just be able to walk, you know, like, even like an hour. That would be something, that, you know, if I could walk for an hour a day by the end of this year, that would be great. You know, there's so much for reintroducing you. Back. I, I say reintroducing back into society as if I'm like some wild animal that's been <laughs> hidden away somewhere. But uh, it's, it's it's been a while. Um, but on 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 me personally, things that I'm working on, um, uh, just little. You know, got some little side projects. As you know, there's a game that I'm working on. Um, I'm working on developing myself more. Um, I'm continuing to work on. My French, I learned French originally for climbing. Um, which, awesome. Which I, I stopped going to France because I can't climb anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. For so now. I, for now. So I need to continue continue learning that. Uh, so just little things. I'm always just trying to, you know, n- next year me just needs to be slightly better than the one before and we'll keep making progress. I love that. And uh, if you guys want to find more out, uh, his name's Andy Savage. We'll have all his links in our description. We'll link his game Warside, which is great. And we'll uh, we'll let you uh, follow on, follow up about Lava Birds and their, their future. So thanks again for, for hopping on and, and dropping some knowledge on us, man. Hey, thanks. It's been fun. All right. Cheers. Cheers.